Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. It's a new week, which means it's a new beginning, Drancer. Three power play goals. Yes, that's right, my friend. Three power play goals as we head into a Monday. And look, this is this is a whole new Canuck team now after all of that, isn't it? Uh, no, it's not. No. But, but they needed that, right? I mean, they needed to get their top six feeling a little bit good about themselves, feeling like they could make a difference in the game. And... You know, they needed to get that power play off the schneid. They did in a big way. That JT Miller goal right off the hop of the first draw that they had, the first power play, like five seconds into their first power play. You know, and JT Miller talked about it at length on Sunday morning. It's like he called his shot. He was like, you know, we're confident. We're not confident because things have happened to this point to make us not confident. But if we can get one, like if we can have one moment, maybe, you know, and I I mean, I thought it was extraordinarily frank. And, and he ended up calling his shot, right? Like, he ended up calling a shot. He scored the goal that broke the dam. And from there, the Canucks flowed. But at the same time, Miller also suggested previously that they were doing great things and they just weren't getting the results. No, they weren't doing great things. Right? I think I mean, the power was... play has been fine. I've been saying this the whole time. Like the power play has not never been what concerned me, even though the personnel, they you know didn't quite make sense. And they were too married to Alex Chase on and on and on like, you know, I, the, the underlying profile has always suggested that the Canucks power play was going to be fine, right? Have I, have I not been saying this you, the whole time? You said that, but here's what I've seen. I've seen the exact same setup. I've seen it being completely stagnant, no movement yeah. at all. And we wanted to see something visually different. We wanted to see something attempted differently, not just the elimination of the drop pass. Right, like we we needed to see something else to show they were going to try to be creative and try to be dynamic. So you know, and and from Pedersen's standpoint, try to be aggressive with his shot. In my opinion, I didn't see enough of that. Um, you know, maybe you saw something differently. And what I saw actually wasn't just the goal, but it was earlier. So the Canucks don't score on the five on three, but on the sequence that led to the second penalty, which took them to a five on three, we finally saw some movement. Right, we saw. Uh, Pedersen, uh, you know, coming to the top and we saw Horvat working off the side. We saw some different things. And then later on, even on the on the other power play goal, I think the third one where Hughes set up Miller for the one timer. Miller goes behind the net, circles around out to the other side. You know, we saw some different looks. We saw some movement. And that was the issue. I mean, even on <laughs> Pedersen's goal, the point yeah. shot from the power play. Right. He was at the top. Right. I mean, he and Hughes essentially switched spots, just seeing something different. That's what encouraged me as much as anything. Obviously, the three goals are most important, but it was a different look. It was creativity. Finally. Well, it, it was funny at the morning skate earlier in the day, too. Like, they were practicing some power play formations that had movement, and they had, like, two guys move at the same time, and no one went to get the puck, right? <laughs> they were all mad and, like, talking to each other. So, you know, there was some clear work behind the scenes, a lot of conversation. 
between that PP1 group to figure this out. And, you know, it was a big night for Jason King, right? The first year power play coach coming under a ton of criticism, especially after the 0 for 6 in Nashville or against Nashville anyway, in Vancouver. Um, you know, to have that type of breakout, to have rotation be such a key part of it. Um, you know, and I'm sure the players were involved in it too, right? Like it was like, uh, hey, this isn't working. Let's talk it out. Let's, you know, who's got ideas? And uh, and that's good. I mean, that's a good sign for the Canucks. But the power play, you know, the power play success was scintillating. It was fun. But now everyone's like, oh, and they said this wasn't a running. Three power play goals. Like that's a stationary attacking situation that they capitalized on. They need to have an elite power play. Like that is a fundamental sort of core tenant that this team needs to hit to be really good this season. But like the power play, despite the lack of actual success, despite that Nashville game where it really struggled, you know, the underlying profile of it has always been fine. Like has never been as concerning to me as the tire fire. That is the club's permissiveness shorthanded, right? Like that is the club's continued inability to generate much at five on five. Um, you know, overall, when I sort of look at what had concerned me about this Canucks team, like the power play was always a backseat issue. I'm not shocked that they had a night like tonight. I, I won't be shocked if they continue to have some success there. Uh, I think they should be a top 10 NHL power play when all is said and done. That would that would be my expectation, my baseline expectation, not just based on the talent level, but based on what they've shown on form, if not in, in terms of results. So, you know, I don't want to I don't want to understate what an important moment psychologically, right? The Dallas success five on four was, but the club having that success five on four, like doesn't to me address what continues to be my biggest concerns about this team. And, and I still thought those were on full display yesterday with the club's permissiveness shorthanded, right? With the just like, constant cross seam pass movement that Dallas was able to generate. Um, you know, and also the way that Dallas, like this Dallas team sucks offensively. They are so bad offensively Farhan. And in a one goal game with the Canucks holding a lead for like the first time we've seen all season, you know, Rupe Hints, Alexander Radulov, like Joe Pavelski, Tyler Sagan, just generating five on five looks at will against the Canucks. Like, it was a 6-3 win, but it was still the Demko show. That is a problem, man. Yeah, there's no doubt. It, it absolutely is. And what, what was interesting, you know, before we leave the power play, you know, for me, one power play I used to love watching was the San Jose Sharks in their heyday when Dan Boyle mm -hmm. ran it. And just that constant movement. And to see Pavelski there, you know, it, it kind of brought it out. But you're right, you know, just... Um, the way they're able to generate, and and you know it was it was immediate, right? Like they get a power play goal right away, they give up a breakaway on the other end. But before we leave the power play, what was interesting is that they've gone so back and forth on what the problems are and what the potential solutions are. Where we've seen different looks, and we've seen OEL with the first unit, and we've seen you know Garland eventually get moved there, and Pearson eventually get moved there. But ultimately, it was PP one the way we've always seen it in structure. <laughs> those much, guys yeah. in those spots figure it out. And they finally did. And some rotation means that hopefully we'll get some more JT Miller at the net front, right? Like hopefully, totally. I, I mean, I like there was a rotation before the JT Miller marauding that ended up in the third goal where Bo Horvat and Elias Pettersson, uh, like Bo moved down. 
uh, Brock moved to the, his downhill side of the right circle and PD moved into the into the bumper. And I was like, perfect. That's exactly like how many times have we talked about those three rotating? Right. Um, so often. But yeah, I mean, they nailed the obvious. They got the right five guys. These are your five guys. Use them. Use them. Figure it out. And they did. And they and they took some meaningful steps. Like what was fun about the power play last night was it looked like they had ideas. Like it looked like they had ideas and it looked like they were having fun. And it looked like they felt good about them. Like it felt like they thought they were going to score. And boy, has this team needed just an ounce of that swagger. Like so, so desperately um, did they need that. But I also think it's really important, Farhan, that we don't look at that and say, well, now the Canucks' top guns are firing. You're like, now, now, oh boy. You know, like now we're set. Now the Canucks' top guns have got it going on. Like, for as good as the power play was, and as well as the team played overall, and I thought they did play really well, especially in the first 40 minutes, at 5-on-5, too. Like, I thought they were, I thought that was by far their best performance of the year. I I don't think that, surely, there's not a ton of disagreement on that, right? Like, that was, they were really good. Um, You know, when I come back to it, though, like, when I come back to it, one thing that continues to be a concern for me is still the lotto line at 5-on-5. Like, they weren't that great last night. And, you know, I think about the first period and there's this like, you know, Nils Hoaglander is sort of firing well and, and playing well and cycling well. And, um, you know, that that line with Horvat and Pearson and Hoaglander is now, you know, should be locked in like set in stone, play those guys forever. And then it goes to a really good shift from the Dickinson Garland pod Colson line. Right. And Garland's just pulling out you know, 18 million spins. Like you're counting them as they happen in the press box. You're like one, two. (laughs) Oh, it's for a shift. Yeah. And the building starts like to rise. You know, this was right at the end of the first period. The building starts to rise. You get, you can hear the excitement as people get in, you know, thrilled by Garland's ingenuity and the way that he's just deking uh, around guys and, and sort of coming up with solutions and maintaining possession, no matter how many guys the stars throw at him. And then the lotto line comes on. And it's like absolutely nothing, like two failed entries, a bunch of neutral zone play, and it completely deflates the, you know, um, atmosphere in the rink. And like I look at what the lotto line's done to this point and like JT Miller's got five even strength points, so it's kind of disguised. But, you know, they're still hovering well below 35 percent of expected goals in terms of differential. You know, Pearson, people are like crushing Pearson in this market, right? For for a lack of offense. He's got five even strength points. That's the same amount of J- as JT Miller. Um, do you know how many combined five-on-five points Elias Pettersson and Brock Besser have this season, Farhan? Tell me. Three. Three. One goal. That's Brock's against Nashville the other night. And t- and PD has two assists. It's like, you know, <laughs> the the... The top guns got it going on the power play, but there's still nothing going on. And there was still nothing going on for the lotto line last night at evens. Um, You know, that's a concern for me. Like by the time the night ended, you know, Pedersen was on the ice for two shots for two, you know? Yeah. So, and, I, and I look at it for me, I looked at that and I thought, okay, with, with the power play goal, that might be something to get him excited. He got a little more aggressive on his shot, didn't necessarily hit the net on a few, but you could see even on the power play, he was trying to do a little bit more. Besser is a guy that I just haven't noticed at all. Am, am I am I missing something there? Like of the three, I've, I've noticed him the least. Well, I mean, I don't think that's 
incorrect, but the, yeah, I don't think that's incorrect, but I think the part of the reason is that you're more likely to notice Pedersen bobbling the puck or losing a battle. Fair. And, and you let, know, let's like, stay, not let's, for good reasons, are you noticing Pedersen? Yeah, and, and let's stick with that. You know, we talked about this in the press box. The goal notwithstanding, and look, I know it's a 6-3 win, and, you know, the sun's come up, it's a beautiful day, and all of that, but at the same time, there are still some issues that you've talked about, and we talked about Pedersen getting out-muscled regularly, regularly. Like, we went into his first season, and we talked about how he was so skinny, how is he going to survive? And he kind of laughed at us, right? And he was this t- this player that was very slippery, and it was hard to get a clean hit on him. And he, you know, he had a core strength that belied his bulk, right, or lack mm. thereof. And there was more there. And he's like, "Look, I can physically handle this. I played against men already because he'd, he'd done the year in Sweden, you know, at the top level, and and all of those things." And you know, I I can't sit here and tell you I, I look at his training in the entire off season, but he hasn't necessarily physically matured as much as maybe some would have liked to. And I see this year it affecting him. He gets bumped off the puck and winds up on his ass regularly, regularly. And am I missing something? Like I've seen this. I mean, it's so easy to knock him off the puck right now more than it has been in previous years. Why? I mean, I think it's that he's just not directing and controlling play as much. Like, I don't think it's that he's like, I I just think he's not quite clicking in terms of the way that he gets around the ice surface. Like too many pucks are not being controlled or too many pucks are not being tracked the way that he, like he's usually the sharpest tack in the box. He's usually ahead of the play and it's hard to hit a guy who's ahead of the play. Like it's hard to hit a guy who's who's got the answer to your question, you know, who who's who's anticipated what you're gonna do. Um, I just think because he's not quite clicking, you notice it more because he's not eluding the types of pressure that we've seen him elude in the past it, as sort of a matter of course. So for me, you know, the the physical side of it, you know, look, he does ultimately need, I think, if he's gonna hit his ceiling as a player, to get stronger. I don't think there's any secret there. I think he knows that, but the overall reason that I think it, a magnifying glass is on it right now has nothing to do with strength or or like physical regression from him. It has to do for me with just him not being quite at the level that he usually is. By the way, I had I had the stat wrong. It's 4-4. Four, four. four shots for, four shots against with Pedersen on the ice uh, last night. And that's three scoring chances for, four against. So, you know, I, again, I just, I think it's important that we sort of say what last night was and put it into the right context because otherwise we're going to end up creating a narrative that's not true or 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 what have you and and that's happened so much in this market like every time the Canucks win right now Farhan because they put themselves so far behind the eight ball with their brutal start to the season and let's let's make no mistake it's been a brutal start to the season um you know every loss now that happens it's the end of the world like fire the coach fire everybody right and well it's been a brutal homestand they did come out of the road trip Above 500, which at that point probably wasn't, we weren't feeling horrible about this team until the homestand started. Fair? Yeah, but they, I mean, they no showed in Buffalo. Like, there's no excuse for that. But they were great in Detroit, in, as bad as yeah, Detroit was. Yeah, but they was. lost in Detroit. Like, they I lost. I know, but sure, but they I, didn't just even saying, get a point talking about against process. the Red Wings. Yeah, but that Red Wings team is trash. Like, I know come on. You, you, can't, you can't lose in regulation to those two teams. Like, you can't. 
um, if you're going to be a playoff team, for sure. Like, I, I 100%, I, I stand by the fact that, like, they salvaged the road trip. It wasn't a great road trip. And then the homestand has been a cataclysm, right? Like, it, I mean, it has. Like, they've won two of six. And the quality of the opponents hasn't been very high. Um, you know, they haven't looked good most nights. So, you know, I, I'm not... I'm not like answering Tony Gallagher's call here either. Like just straight up (laughs) through 12 games, through 12 games, the Canucks have 11 points and, you know, based on the caliber of the opponents they face, it's not nearly good enough. Like it's not. And so anyway, you know, what happened, what happened against the stars, right? What happened against the stars is that the Canucks now have a top six line truly firing in Pearson, Horvat, Hoaglander controlling play effectively generating a ton of chances and they scored two goals right that line was on the ice for two five on five goals four um or sorry sorry Horvat was but that line generated the the down low goal Pearson off the pad to Horvat great stuff um they also controlled play they've also got this Garland pod Colson duo start starting a fire right and their shot differential was 6-1 right like that 6-1 now Dickinson um wasn't as effective I don't think as those two were that's sort of a different issue that the club's going to have to address. We can get into that in the weeks ahead. But I thought that was Pod Colson. Like, that was the first game, Farhan, for me, where I was like, Pod Colson is one of Vancouver's best forwards, right? And fans always want to see that because the young guys get so much rope, right? Like, um, they, they, they just want them to succeed so badly that any mistake is ignored, especially because the mistakes are often the subtle things. And people just see the shot and the hits and the work rate. And it's all great. Like, it, it, you know, I'm not taking away from that. I'm just saying, you know, in terms of his comfort level now on the NHL sheet, in terms of the way that he's thinking the game and making passes, especially from that defensive zone half wall, to clear the zone, to make smart plays, to connect play and transition. Like, he's looking like an impactful NHL player already to have made that type of leap in 10 games in this league from where he was in training camp and at the start of the season where it was just like, this guy can't complete a pass. Like, oh my God, this guy's not ready at all. Um, He's, he's improved enormously and he played 14 minutes last night. I thought he was great, like truly great, but there was still not a lot going on for the lot of line. And there was still far too many quality chances that Dallas was able to generate five on five late, especially late, like four, three, when that score is four, three, the stars at will, generated five alarm chances like Demko had to be so good for them to win that and and as I come back to where this team's at right like the the bricks that are being laid as we move toward certainty or or some type of certain understanding of, of exactly what this team is like the thing I can't get around Farhan right now is that the Canucks have as a team a 942 942 save percentage at five on five. That's the fourth best mark in the league. The only teams better are the Flyers, the Hurricanes, and the Flames, right? Every other team in and around Vancouver's five on five save percentage, every other team getting this type of goaltending has a point percentage well north of 0.6, right? Like they're there at worst, you know, the type of team that has. Uh, 21 points, or sorry, uh, 12 points out of 10 games, right? Or or 14 points out of 10 games, or 18 points out of 10 games. Um, the Canucks are not making enough hay out of the goaltending that they're getting at all. And at some point, like, you probably don't sustain 
a 942 over the course of the season. Like, what does this team look like it, when that goaltending, when that otherworldly performance that they're getting out of Demko comes back to earth? Because inevitably, it's going to come back to earth at least a little bit. And, you know, the power play will help, but the PK, oh boy, such a problem. And as I sort of look at this team, I'm, I just can't get over, I cannot get over the fact that, like, a good team is positioned so that when their bounces go their way, you know, their, their baseline is high enough that when the bounces go their way, they start to win 7-2. They start to win, you know, 6-3. That was like a, a good type of win that you'd expect when your goaltending is really good and your power plays um, cooking, right? But they'll string together a bunch of wins like that. We're seeing it out of the Maple Leafs right now, right? Who struggled early in the year and now, you know, their baseline's high. They control play well. Now things are going their way for their top players. Their top players are feeling good. They're going to win 15 of 20. Like they're going to put space between them and the also Rans in the Atlantic. Um, you know, you're seeing it with Florida right now, right? Florida's getting some great luck, some good fortune. Carolina, Calgary, putting space between them and the other teams. The Canucks are actually, you know, with the way their goaltending has been, they're actually being lucky right now. And they're still below 500. Like that's, I, I just can't get over as I look at this team, how feeble, right? their overall form is and the fact that as feeble as it is it's actually buttressed by stupendous like unsustainably stupendous level of goaltending excellence and that to me is just like a big flashing light Farhan just like concern danger danger Will Robinson for the Canucks in terms of what we've seen through 12. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So, you... We got into the power play. I want to get into the penalty kill. And look, that first PK was ridiculous. I mean, the cross-seam passes that went back and forth before the eventual goal, they can't get the tie up in front. It's the same stuff we've been seeing over and over and over. But four-minute power play to Oliver Ekman Larson, they wind up killing off. How much do they do they so- Sorry, they gave up. Sorry, a goal they gave late. up a goal right at the end of it. They gave up yeah. a goal right at the end of it, and up until that goal, like their process on the kill was was good for a change. Is, is there yeah. any takeaway from that at all, or do you just give one up at the end and it doesn't matter? Um, I mean, the Canucks are giving up two attempts per minute on the power play right now. They're giving up se- more than a shot per minute, seventy one point five seven shots per hour on the PK. Only the Ottawa Senators are worse. Um, Only the Ottawa Senators are allowing goals against at a higher rate. Uh, Only Ottawa and Vegas are allowing scoring chances against at a higher rate. Um, You know, (laughs) like this is bad. Like this is really bad. The power play is really bad. Like it's a problem. The penalty kill, you mean? Yeah. Oh, sorry. the the power The power play is fine. (laughs) It's gotten better. I I actually think the power play is more or less fine. Um. Yeah. No. It's the yeah, excuse me. It is the penalty kill that is. I, I mean, I just, I don't know. I don't know what I, to say about it at this point. Like, I thought that I honestly, I thought see, for the most part that four minute kill was good, and then late they lose a draw, and once again it comes back to bite them. But 
I don't know, like just watching that process for three three forty five of it, I thought there was something to build on there, but then it all goes away with the goal, right? And and again, I guess it gets yeah. massive because you wind up with three power play goals and Tyler Mott's still not back. So I don't know where they're going here with it. I, I mean, so, you know, at this point, you sort of look at, you know, the the first goal, there was the keep-in issue, right? And then JT Miller sort of overcommits, right? He talked about the breakdown, and then it's his lane that, like, it's his lane that opens up twice. Um, you know, he owned that post game, right? He said he hadn't watched it, but obviously there was a breakdown. And actually, both seams were created by him overextending to get the puck that Tyler Myers didn't get out. Out. Um, the second one, it's Tucker Pullman who doesn't pick up Jordy, uh, Jamie Ben in the slot. And when you look at which Canucks players are sort of getting victimized the most in terms of the quality of chances that they're giving up on the power play uh, or on the penalty kill, you know, when they're shorthanded, um, you know, Jason Dickinson has not been like a difference maker for the Canucks on the PK. Frankly, no, I think he he's has. been pretty good. I think he's been pretty good at five on five. I think he's been just okay <laughs> to, to steal a Travis Greenism. Um, <laughs> just okay. But, uh, but the, <clears throat> as much as I think his five on five game is like, he, like he's an upgrade at third line center over what Sutter would have brought or Godet would have brought or Jay Beagle would have brought for sure. But on the penalty kill, uh, he hasn't got it done. He hasn't been the difference maker that they need on the PK. And then, you know, the other guy who's really struggled uh, for me and was the guy who lost his man in front of the net on the on the um you know th- four three goal the second stars power play goal that was Pullman uh Pullman OEL has not really worked for me on the PK and you know I think we're seeing a lot of things change in terms of how the Canucks are deploying their defensive personnel um you know now that now that Travis Hamonick's back like Tucker Pullman was fifth among Canucks defenders in ice time at five on five last night. Like we've seen his ice time steadily decrease after he was used sort of in the first few games, first five games as a top pair guy. It's, you know, looks like it's going to transition pretty quickly into them figuring out like, hey, Tucker Pullman's a bottom pair guy. You know, that's where we need him. Um, You know, it took 13 games or 12 games into the 320 plus that he signed for, for the head coach to kind of work that out, like work out what he is. And you know, I think there's been some decent moments late in games, but on the PK right now, you know, Oliver Ekman, Larson, Hamannick, that would be like the first thing I'd go to at this point um, in terms of like who starts, who starts when the Canucks are shorthanded. I'd probably go Hamannick OEL at this point. I think that's one easy change to make that uh, that might pay dividends. And then I don't know what I, I honestly don't know what else you do. Like Mott's going to help one. a lot. He, he, Mott's going to help a lot. He's this team's best penalty killer, but. You know, Bo, Bo Horvat's not a great penalty killing option at center. JT Miller, I don't think, is a great penalty killing option at center. You need one of those guys to win draws. Um, you know, Dickinson's struggled four on five right so far this season. You know, Matthew Highmore struggled four on five. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know where you get to. I, I kind of wonder, like, you know, I wonder if that might actually be in it. Like, do they need just a guy who can win a draw? Do they need to find a face-off guy at this point, especially with continued uncertainty as to how long Brandon Sutter will be out, you know, I, I might say yes. Like, if I'm the Canucks, I'm pretty tempted to to go find a righty who can play fourth-line center as well as Yuho Lamico's played, in my opinion, um, and he drew a key penalty again last night. 
Um, you know, I just I, I don't see how you fix it without a guy who can win you a draw um, a little bit more regularly than anyone they've got on the ice at the moment. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt it's tough. And we see Brandon Sutter in the press box. So hopefully we get him closer to the dressing room at some point here. But um, you mentioned Tucker Pullman. You know, we I'm trying to equate him to Nate Schmidt a year ago. Right. And different expectations for Schmidt because of where he came from and what he was equipped to do offensively. And it never really turned out the way uh, anyone really hoped. But can we attribute any of the struggles Pullman is having now, because they're pretty noticeable and it's not just on the PK, to just getting used to the system? Or is it just kind of what we expected from him coming into the year based on what his profile was in Winnipeg before he got here? Um, yeah, I mean... You know, I th- I think he's honestly, I think he's played fine. I think he's been above expectations, to be honest with you. I just think they had him slotted too high five on five early. And on the PK, he's been part of the issue. Um, you know, the underlying numbers anyway suggest that the results have been worse shorthanded with Pullman on the ice than with any other Canucks defender. So, you know, I, I mean, Hamannick's a really good penalty killing guy. I, 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 I'm not even like casting aspersions here. Uh, so much as I'm just saying, I think, you know, there's there's an opportunity now to make Myers and Pullman sort of your secondary PK pair. Uh, and that's an option I think the Canucks would do well to avail themselves of. Um, and we're already seeing like we're already seeing now the Canucks have two lefties that they really trust and like and who played well in Hughes and Oliver Ekman Larson. And w- what we're seeing increasingly is Myers play with both. Like Myers is probably the most credible top four righty on this team. And, you know, he led the Canucks in ice time against Dallas by like a minute and a half at five on five, like by a lot. And the reason is that he played a ton of minutes with both OEL and Hughes. Like he's sort of being used as a as as a two pairing, (laughs) like a two pairing defenseman. And look, is that sustainable? I'm not really sure. (laughs) I, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's ideal, but he has played well. Right. Like you'd have to say that Tyler Myers has played well. Relatively. Um, yeah. Compared to last year, for sure. For sure. And and so last night he ends up playing 12 minutes with uh, Oliver Ekman Larson. Right. That's his primary partner. And five with Quinn Hughes. Right. And there and there you go. You've got you've got like in the aggregate, you've built a you know, you've turned Tyler Myers into two right handed defensemen. <laughs> two. He's he's your top four. So now you, you've got this world, and I, I wonder if we're going to see this develop. You've got this world where you've got not a top four, but a stratified top three, right? And then you've got a bottom three in terms of your defensemen. And I wonder if we're going to see uh, that sort of occur. Like maybe we'll see Hamannick sort of get ramped up more and more, especially once he's able to travel. But I kind of wonder if we're going to see Myers just do a lot of heavy lifting for this team while Hamnick, Pullman, and X guy, maybe it's Hunt, maybe it's Shen, maybe it's Burroughs, maybe it's Rathbone, kind of make up a bottom three who play 16 or fewer minutes every night while the other guys play 18 plus. Um, that's that's where I that's where I wonder if we're going. Like I, I, based on what they did against Dallas and how they use their players, I kind of think that's where we're going, and we're going to see Myers leaned on very heavily. Um, which, you know, again, he's played really well to start the season, but that is a big ask for Myers. Yeah, and on the left side, before we leave that, they got to get they got to get Rathbone back here. I mean, Kyle Burrows there playing on his offside, struggled from the opening shift on. 
Um, you know, the other options there, again, involve guys playing on their offside. They're not giving Hunt much of a look here at all. Is it not time to get this guy back here? I, I mean, for sure it is. For sure it is. I don't, I, I don't think there's much suspense there. I, I mean, you know, yeah, I agree with you. I thought, and, and I thought the burroughs Hamannick pair, like the even-strength Glendening goal that the Canucks gave up, you know, that was a, a mess. Like, that was a mess coverage-wise. Uh, and and you're right, like right from that first shift, a lot of line shift that, you know, Burroughs really struggled to clear the puck on his offside was sort of his first game that we've seen him play there. Um, you know, so not not sort of holding it against a guy who I think's been really reliable depth for this club. But, you know, is he being put in a position to succeed playing on his offside with Travis Hamannick? Uh I don't think so. No, I don't. I don't think so. And I and I think that Shen Hamannick pair is only a matter of time before they got burned, too. So yeah, get Rathbone back. Get Rathbone yeah, back. Yeah, get him you back. Need, he's, you need he's his not feet. far you, away. No, uh, you, you know, need his feet. You need his offense. Yeah, and we'll be interested to see what the defensive structure looks like once they get back on the road here, because obviously the Travis Hamannick situation will um, be impacted right then and there, right, as to whether or not he's ready and 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 capable of traveling at this point. We'll get into that. I wanted to talk a bit more about Pod Colson as well, but first, a quick break. Drancher, you touched on it earlier, but Vasily Podkolzin, 14-plus minutes in this game, looked as good as we've seen him at any point this year. Now, you were a real advocate early on. Bring him along slowly. Don't throw him into the deep end. He's going to be better. Are you surprised he's showing this level of promise and we're still in early November? I am. Yeah, he's figured out He's figured out some nuances way quicker than I thought. I thought there were three sequences in particular where the puck comes to him rolling along the wall pressure on him from Dallas Stars four checkers and he made really quick really sharp plays uh two of them keyed successful exits the other didn't but it was because Dickinson bobbled the puck so you know not on Pod Colson to me that is like that's a really tough skill to be good at and to figure out especially coming from the big ice surface it was an area that he particularly struggled in during training camp during preseason during the Canucks's first road trip so you know to see him make that type of progress in an area like that, like that to me shows an incredible mastery of, of pattern recognition this early in his career. Um, you know, you combine that with the work, right? You combine that with everything I know about him off ice, everything I know about the initiative that he's taken, right? To get his own documents in order, right? To fly to X. Eastern European country to get a J and J shot so that he was able to come over without quarantining, right. To go through his visa, to go through all of the wild requirements that are required, um, you know, to in coming over from Russia in this COVID era, uh, and to get set up here and comfortable. And, you know, I, I mean, everything I know about the kids suggests that he wants nothing more than to be an NHL player. And boy, it looks to me like he's put in a lot of work. Like he's put in a lot of work on video, put in a lot of work, getting more comfortable. You know, some of the early season things that I thought, oh boy, I'm not sure this kid's ready were things like he'd turn the, he'd turn his back to the puck on in zone defensive zone play, which again, good defense in Europe, right? Not going to cut it in the NHL. Uh, I haven't seen any of that on this homestand, but I especially saw none of it when he looked, you know, really workmanlike and steady and reliable on Sunday night against the stars. So as I sort of take all of this in stride, I, I'm like, oh boy, you know, if he's making progress this fast, like who else can he reel in? Like who else can he be better than? You know, I mean, I mean, he's already at the point where, 
you know, no brainer. Now he, now he looks ready to me to be an everyday top nine player. And now I sort of start to wonder, like, you know, can he be better than Tanner Pearson? Can he be better than JT Miller? Like who can he reel in, in terms of his overall effectiveness now? Right. And that's an exciting place to be with a player who, you know, honestly looks like right now, one of the Canucks most dangerous uh, shooters at five on five. Um, you know, that that Goner, that Connor Garland pair that they've got going like that worked really well. And that worked really well, despite the fact that I don't think Dickinson had his best game against the Stars. And that also makes me wonder, like, if the lotto line can't figure it out, right, if the lotto line continues to st- sputter at five on five, you know, is there a situation? And, and I think about this with like Tampa Bay, right? Tampa Bay plays seven defensemen and 11 forwards traditionally. Not to have an extra defenseman in case of emergency, but because on the fourth line, what it allows them to do is they rotate guys like Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov and Steven Stamkos through. So you've got, you know, in last season anyway, it would be like Maroon, Colton Point, and one of their best players. And that ups the amount of ice time you can give to your best players, right? Um, when Pod Colson finished the no-look pass from Garland. <clears throat> Bo Horvat was on the ice with that line. I wonder if, you know, one thing the Canucks can try, especially when they're trailing, or even when it's tied early in games, is using the chemistry between Pod Colson and Garland to up the ice time they're giving to Pedersen, Miller, and Horvat by sort of rotating or double-shifting them through as third line centers, right? Um, to give them sort of like, like almost think of it as like a top six, but not a top six in terms of two lines, but a group of top six wingers, right? Like you have six top six wingers, uh, three left wings, three right wings, and then you can rotate centermen through them, as it were, even though one of those wingers would, would also be rotated through as uh, double shifted on that line. And that could up the amount that you're able to use Pedersen, Miller, and Horvat. That's sort of an interesting wrinkle to me and one that I'm curious to see if the Canucks can lean on a little bit, um, especially, you know, with the way that Garland and Pod Colson seemed to play together against Dallas. You know, they're now up to about 15 minutes together. Um, some pretty auspicious underlying results there. Um, I'm definitely curious to see that that duo get a longer look and ideally get a longer look with some centermen who aren't Jason Dickinson. Yeah. And it certainly isn't a surprise. I mean, we knew what we were getting with Dickinson. He didn't have necessarily a great offensive profile, but he was, he was very solid defensively and still can be that. But now all of a sudden you have this ability where you've got some guys that are potentially your third line wingers that, that have some ability to play offense and, and to be dynamic. So how do you maximize what they can do? And, you know, as before we leave the Connor Garland topic, I mean, it seems like he's been a good fit with Pod Colson, but it seems like he's been a good fit with whatever line he's gone on. But at the same time, you know, there's been some good there, but there's also been some adjustment because he's a different type of player with a different style and it takes some time to get used to playing with him. You mentioned Miller potentially rotating him through. None of us like JT Miller as a center, uh, but he could probably give you a little bit more pop offensively than Dickinson can. And early on, especially in camp, they were trying to pair him up with Pod Colson to try to ease his transition into the National Hockey League. So, yeah, maybe there's some moments there and, and some different ways to use some of these guys. Yeah, and and Garland, I mean, Garland, I feel like Garland kind of dragged the Canucks into the fight last night, to be totally honest with you. Like, he was going right from the get-go 
when the rest of the team felt a little flat. And then as the game went on, it felt like Pearson and Horvat and Hoaglander got going too. It just feels like as Garland goes, this team goes right now. And and that's a pretty tremendous, you know, um, compliment to pay to a play to pay to a guy who's just played 12 games for this team, right? Like it already feels like he's almost this club's like metronome or heartbeat, right? Like as Garland goes, goes this team is how it's felt in the early going and, and certainly how it felt to me on Sunday night at Rogers Arena. Do you think it matters who he plays with either to him or to the club? Because like we've said, it, it could he can give a jolt to whoever he plays with potentially. You talk about dragging people into the fight. He could drag multiple lines into the fight. Uh, certainly, Pod Colson's developed that chemistry with him. Do you think it matters to his long-term success into the clubs to kind of have a spot for him? Well, I don't love him with Horvat and Pearson. We saw that for a long stretch to open the year. I think Hoaglander's a way better fit on that line. And I think putting Hoaglander there has stabilized the Canucks top six. It's given them some breathing room for them to give the lotto line a little bit more time to grind into gear. Because now you've got at least one top six line that you know is going to control play. And this team needed that desperately. So desperately. I mean, they need two, but at least they have one now. And so, yeah, I mean, for me now, Pearson, Horvat, Hoaglander's your top line. Straight up, right? Like, that's your top line until you figure out whatever's going on with the lotter line and maybe it ends up getting split or you have to figure it out. But at least now, with Pearson, Horvat, Hoaglander, I say, okay, I the Canucks have a top six line that I know is going to come out ahead territorially. And they were desperate for that. They were desperate for some type of answer at the top of the lineup. They now have found it. And so for me, that's inviolable. Like, you got to keep those three together. And I just don't think that like Hoaglander does some of what Garland does, but Garland does it in a much stranger way. Like Hoaglander's a little bit lower offensive ceiling, a little bit more predictable with the cycle. I just think it complements straight line players like Horvat and Pearson better than Garland's, you know, uh, like, I mean, again, you don't want to pair two straight line players for me in, in Pearson and Horvat with a guy who legitimately has never skated in a straight line for more than a stride in his life, right? Who <laughs> is literally a human dipsy doodle. So, um, you know, I liked what I saw out of Garland and Pod Colson, and I think there's interesting options there. But then the question again becomes like, is there anything from the lotto line five on five? And at some point you have to consider splitting it just to get something going elsewhere. You know, just to, I mean, could you play Dickinson with Miller as like a defensive oriented line, you know what I mean? And, and cause then you have Miller at least who can sort of pitch in for draws for Dickinson, the way that he has done with, um, with Pedersen and then maybe sick, you know, Pedersen with pod Colson and Besser against sort of softer competition. Like at some point, I think those are discussions that they have to, uh, have internally and consider, um, you know, I, I probably I'm probably already done with the lotto line just in terms of uh, it's there's just nothing going on five on five for them. Like they haven't been so good for so long that they can, you know, continue to play like this. Right. Like they've been together for so many minutes at this point, like it's so many minutes and there's just nothing going on for them. Like at some point you do need something out of that line. They've, you know. We're talking about 65 minutes at a 35% expected goals clip. Like, yeah, I mean, that's sort of where I get to is, is 
I do think around that Horvat line, you're going to need to figure something out. I love the look of Garland and Pod Colson. I think there's some interesting things you could do to that. Uh, ideally, the lotto line gets going, and so maybe you give it maybe you give it a couple more games. But the leash can't be much longer at this point. Like they really do need to start generating anything at five on five. Yeah, no question. Um, before we uh, we talked about uh, Demco earlier, but just last thing before we go here and get into the road trip. But was it a save or did it hit the post? Are you fully convinced yet? I think I think it was a save. I do too. Yeah. Just by the sound, it didn't it. make. Yeah, it didn't make a ping. I think he, I think he I think he paddled that out of there. Um, but you know what? That save is going to get the the headlines. For me, it was the first ten minutes of the third period where he was just like stoning Rupe hints on two backhands. You know, as he as he cut through the Canucks defense like it was melted butter. Um, it was moments like that that mattered more for me. Uh, but yeah, just a tremendous game for Demko. Look ahead to the road trip. A couple of pretty good opponents. Well, up and down. I mean, if you look at what Vegas and Colorado are doing right now, but teams we expect to be at the top of the at the top of the conference by the time the season ends. Just um, how important is it before we we get to Anaheim, and then you've got two games on the road after that? Well, it's the two games against Anaheim for me that matter, right? Like the the tail end of the road trip, they go to Anaheim on the second leg of a back to back. It's like a twenty two hour back to back, which makes it pretty tough. And then they've got Anaheim at home. You you need four. You need four points from those two Anaheim games. I mean, you know, if you get two from Colorado Vegas, great. Happy with that. But you need four. All four from Anaheim if you're going to be a playoff team in the Pacific. Period. Period. Like, absolutely period. And, and you know, that's also because the Canucks haven't given themselves breathing room. Like, they haven't created an environment where they can afford to drop games to Anaheim. They need four points from those two Anaheim games. Those are the two that I'm really looking at. Like, that's the barometer for me. You need to win to close out this homestand three and four. You need that. Absolutely must have. And then you need to beat them in a really tough, like a schedule loss situation on, you know, that Sunday in in Anaheim. You need both of those wins. Four points from Anaheim. If this club's going to continue to, you know, press on with their ambition of being a playoff team intact. I also want to let you know about a few of our other podcasts, including Quinn Hughes of the Canucks, who is Craig Custance and Sean Gentili's guest Tuesday. That's tomorrow on the Athletic Hockey Show USA. As far as we're concerned, we want to thank all of the VIPs for listening to the VanCast. Please follow us on your favorite, favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to leave a rating and a review. You can also subscribe to The Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all that bonus content from the entire network. Start with a 30-day free trial and then just 99 cents a month after that. And right now, you get an annual subscription to The Athletic for just $3.99 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash VanCast. A lot of fun doing this after a win. Just full disclosure to all the VIPs, we were talking about the future of Travis Green as a discussion point today. Had the Canucks lost last night. But they didn't, so we'll see if we're talking about it on Wednesday after an Anaheim game, my friend. Yeah, every every Canucks game now is a referendum on the organization, right? Like, that's what happens when you enter a season with, you know, muted but real expectations. Uh, I still think this, or I still think this market was more curious than expectant. And, you know, struggle like this. Like, they have struggled. And so we'll see, we'll see what comes next. Uh, but this team needs to go on a run, Farhan. Well, if we're back Wednesday talking about Travis Green, you'll know what happened on Tuesday. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Thanks for subscribing and downloading. We'll talk to you Wednesday.